All right, I think I'm all set. Okay, I'm going to put you on speaker. Give me one second. Sounds good. Okay, you are on. Hey, Ernie, how's it going, man? Pretty good. So uh, I guess just to, to jump right in, um, what uh, what was it like getting the call, as it were, uh, that uh, that this uh, that this guy Steven Spielberg was going to make your uh, your book into a movie? <laughs> well, um, I had known that it was a possibility for about two two and a half weeks. They uh, they initially called me and said, you know, the script has gone out to a new director, and they they kept avoiding saying his name until they finally revealed, you know, that it was Steven Spielberg. And uh, first I got, you know, for like a few minutes, I was just really uh, elated. And then the more I thought about it, I, uh, uh, I started to get depressed uh, because I, I didn't think there was any way he would actually uh, decide to do it. He would read the script or, or, uh, and or read the book and then, and then pass on it. And I would have to spend the whole rest of my life uh, imagining what it would have been like if Steven Spielberg had made Ready Player One. So initially, for like those two and a half weeks, I was really, and the more time passed, the more certain that I was was that it wasn't, you know, it wouldn't happen. And so then when they, they finally called me and, and uh, uh, told me that he had signed on to do it, uh, then I was just uh, elated and, uh, had a, you know, it took me, it took me uh, a while to, uh, to wrap, my, wrap my head around it. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it now, uh, three years later. Uh, but that day was, you know, pretty, pretty glorious and kind of every day since then has, has been a little bit better. So how how long was it in between finding that out and the news being public? Um, almost immediately, just a few days. So I I knew it was a possibility, and then kind of when he signed on, Warner Brothers rushed to announce it as quickly as possible because they were you know exciting exciting news. So um, shortly after I found out that it was uh, a certainty, then uh, the whole world found out, which was great. It was right before my birthday, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, about three years ago this month, and uh, and now the movie's coming out this month on my birthday, so I just, uh, I couldn't be any more lucky. At what point did you have your first conversation with him? Was it was it pretty shortly after that? Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, the, uh, Warner Brothers flew me out, uh, uh, and I went to the lot at Universal, which is where Amblin uh, is located, and um, uh, got to meet him for the first time and uh, start talking about the 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 movie and uh that was you know i i described that experience it's like uh i told people it was like being uh charlie bucket and getting to go to you know willy wonka's factory like i had dreamed of visiting amblin um uh and you know growing up watching those movies and so getting to go to the it was like the time i got to visit skywalker ranch it was like visiting this magical place where they made you know so many of my uh childhood memories and uh uh and when i had my first meeting with steven i brought a piece of my my DeLorean, I brought my glove box lid, and when we started to talk about using the DeLorean in the movie, I pulled it out and asked him if he would, uh, he would autograph it for me, and, and, and he did. And then he told me it was the only DeLorean he'd ever autographed uh, uh, <laughs> in his life. And so now I have the only, and then I promised to make him never sign another one, so now I have the only uh, uh, time machine autographed by Steven Spielberg. So in, in beginning conversations with him about the shape that the movie would take under his direction, were there, were there things that he volunteered early on that he really wanted to do, that he wanted to, to do to reshape it in adaptation? Um, was, you know, what, what, was the, what was the adaptation process like in, in talking to him about it in those initial phases? Uh, well, you know, uh, it was the kind of a dream come true in his very first meeting. Um, you know, I was friends, uh, and am friends with the other screenwriter, uh, Zach Penn, 
we had met on a documentary that he uh, uh, he made that I appeared in called Atari Game Over, which is actually about digging up ET cartridges in the desert. And so we had already met and become friends and bonded over our shared love of uh, uh, movies and video games. And uh, uh, and so uh, he and I, you know, he was already consulting with me about uh, his, doing his rewrite of the script. And when Stephen came on board um, uh, and he read my book, um, uh, back when he came to this very first meeting about the movie at Warner Brothers with this uh, dog-eared paperback copy of Ready Player One that was filled with like four dozen post-it notes uh, of things that uh, had slowly been worked out of the movie in the script and that he wanted to put back in. And Zach, you know, Zach was like, Ernie, it's a good thing you weren't there, man. You would have you just passed out from a heart attack because Steven Spielberg was reading aloud from your book for like an hour. And uh, uh, and he, you know, he was uh, such a huge fan of the book. And, and, and uh, if anyone else had made this movie, I think it would have, you know, resembled my book a lot less. He, uh, uh, he, there were so many things that I, you know, thought could never be translated to the screen. And he, he managed to, he managed to do it, and you know, little bits of dialogue, and even you know, costumes that the characters are wearing in the book, uh, they're wearing in the movie. Uh, he, you know, had all the different departments and set decorators use the book as a reference. So things that never even made it into the script still, you know, made it into the movie because uh, everyone was using my, you know, paperback of Ready Player One as a reference on the uh, on the set. So it's kind of, you know, I tell people it's uh, what every you know writer should have happen. Uh, when they get their novel adapted. You know, I'm lucky because I was a screenwriter uh, before, and so, you know, and Zach and Steven and I, you know, uh, they, they uh, used me as kind of their uh, expert on the Oasis and the universe and consulted with me about all the, all the changes, and I got to collaborate with them in, in the kind of reimagining the, the puzzles and the challenges uh, sequences, uh, uh, you know, were concocted by all three of us. So it was really uh, a team effort and uh, a really gratifying experience. One of the things that I've I found kind of odd, interesting, I'm not sure what to say, uh, about the the way that big fans of the book have been anticipating the movie is is that they, they say, oh, I hear they changed things, and they almost come out as, as being defensive of you, like as if you didn't you didn't have a hand directly in, in putting the movie together. And I, I really love the, the way that, that you have, have been very proactive about reassuring these people that look, it is not it is not the exact same as the book. But that's that's what an adaptation is. Are, are there are there changes? I mean, without spoiling anything, that you feel very much benefit the translation of it into this medium. Uh, all the changes, you know, like having seen this movie with an audience a few times now, I would not change anything. Like I wouldn't change anything anyway because I don't have the you know hubris to think that I know better uh, than Steven Spielberg how to tell a story cinematically. Like I trust him and have trusted him. Uh, implicitly, and so whenever he, you know, felt certain about a decision uh, to change something, uh, you know, I was on board for it, uh, 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 and partly because he included me in all those changes and asked my opinion and took my input, uh, and um, so, yeah, but I think so many of the changes, you know, uh, uh, that's the thing about adapting a book into a film, there are so many things that will work in a novel that will not work in a film, uh, uh, if you want the film to be engaging and uh, cinematic. Um, and uh, like having a character stand at the Pac-Man machine and play a perfect game of Pac-Man for three or four hours, like that will work in a novel, but it won't work in a movie. It would just stop the movie dead. Uh, same with, you know, reenacting an old Dungeons and Dragons module or, or uh, things like that that, you know, um, uh, I love in the book and I think works fantastic in the book, but uh, for a big budget, you know, uh, summer blockbuster, like um, uh, you need much more uh, 
uh, cinematic challenges, and that was how you know we came up with the race. Uh, uh, and the the idea of the race, you know, was not uh, was something that uh, uh, me and the uh, my producing partner Dan Farah came up with before that even you know came on board. Uh, that was a, an idea that we had of making the first challenge more cinematic, um, but still doing something that captured the spirit of a book. So it's kind of a, it's still a video game challenge, but it's more like you know Super Mario Kart. 2045 or burnout you know uh, 2045 like a futuristic uh, racing game with also with easter eggs hidden in it which i think perfectly captures the spirit of the challenges in the book um but also uh makes it more cinematic so that's one of the changes i'm really happy about i'm also really happy about you know kind of flip-flopping uh uh having the character of artemis be the one who gets indentured uh by uh ioi uh, and have to kind of uh, help sabotage them from the inside. Wade does all of that in the book, and part of that is because it's a first-person narrative, and Wade kind of does everything because I'm telling the story from his perspective. But uh, for the movie, it makes you know uh, uh, the the victory much more collaborative, and gives Artemis much more agency, and allows her to to do more, uh, uh, and ramps up the tension, and makes the ending much more exciting. So there's so many changes, you know. Uh, uh, and the second, you know, movie challenge the. The, have you seen the movie? Oh yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah we, okay. did, we know each other. Yeah, We've been at Buttonomathon with each other many, many years. Oh, okay, cool. No, I just mean I didn't want to your page. Showed you. Yeah, no, no, no. I was, I was, I was at the South by screening. Oh, okay, right on. Um, the um, uh, uh, the uh, shining sequence uh, makes me so happy because I got to, you know, not only does it capture the spirit of what's in the novel, where we have like Blade Runner or War Games or Monty Python going into those movies. Uh, which we couldn't really do uh, because those movies didn't really kind of uh, match the, the the tone of what we wanted uh, to do in the in the second act when we had the Shining Challenge. But uh, we made a, like a short list of other '80s movies, uh, Zach and I, that might uh, be a potential movie to go into. And then once even saw the Shining, he immediately latched onto that. And then from then on, it was just that was the most fun. You know, some of the most fun I've ever had. Uh, you know, reworking my own. Story and getting to concoct the Shining Challenge with you know uh, Stephen and Janusz Kaminski, who are like the two biggest you know Stanley Kubrick and Shining fans uh, in the world. So that was so much fun to me because like up to that point, you know, I've been the one geeking out about everything, but that was when I got to see Steven Spielberg and Janusz uh, uh, geek out about the Shining uh, uh, and uh, uh, and all their enthusiasm for recreating it and paying tribute to it. It was pretty great. So all of those, you know, all the changes I think help make it. Uh, 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 a better movie than a direct translation, you know, and all of my favorite book to film adaptations always take huge uh, departures from the source material, like Jaws or Jurassic Park uh, uh, or even, you know, uh, the Harry Potter adaptations or the Tolkien, uh, Peter Jackson's Tolkien adaptations. You always have to rework things and have different characters do different things to make the story more engaging and more cinematic. Now, um, what was as, sur- as surreal as getting that initial phone call and taking that initial meeting was? Uh, what was what was your first day on set like? Um, that was great. It was during the first you know few weeks of um, uh, filming, and once they kind of got, got into, uh, they did the motion motion capture um, first uh, uh, for the first three or four weeks, and I got to come during that, uh, which was pretty amazing. Even though you know I was seeing all the actors kind of in their mocap suits and on a motion capture stage. But even that was amazing because, you know, we had monitors and, and um, uh, uh, an Oculus Rift headset on the set that you could put on that would show everyone, you know, you could look around and see everyone in the capture volume uh, 
in their costumes. You can also see all the digital sets of the Oasis. So it was like shooting on location uh, in the Oasis. So that was pretty amazing. And then I got to walk over to where they were building the backs, and that was um, that was probably the most surreal experience of my life as a writer. To you know, it was like walking into the paperback cover of my novel. They had built this thing that I had imagined for real. Engineers had come out. They had got all these trailers and had to make it structurally sound and they you know they extended a lot in the movie but there were like six or seven uh full-size facts uh with all kinds of businesses and filled with extras and you know different people living in each trailer and that was just you know it really struck me how profound uh profoundly powerful screenwriting can be if you end up getting your movie made you know what you imagine ends up getting built uh for real in the real world and you know then captured on film so it was pretty uh pretty incredible Sure thing. So, uh, so that that South by Southwest screening uh, that that had that had to have taken the cake as as the most surreal part of all of it. Uh, you know, being a hometown boy and and being there and soaking it in with everybody um, was was there was there a, a different layer to that that you know that people uh, wouldn't necessarily just you know assume in terms of your own experience of, of seeing it blow the roof off the Paramount. Uh, well, you know, just I, uh, I moved to Austin in the mid-90s and uh, have been to South by Southwest, you know, uh, uh, over a dozen times, and I've seen so many movies premiere at the Paramount, and I go to summer, you know, repertory series there and seen old Hitchcock movies, and so, you know, Austin is my town, and, and partly because it's such a great film town, you know, and full of uh, cinephiles like myself, and I, you know, I don't know that I could have written Ready Player One if I hadn't, you know, uh, been living in Austin. Uh, uh, during that time because so much of what the Alamo Drafthouse would do and kind of bringing movies to life, you know, like showing like Rolling Roadshow or showing the Goonies in a cave with Corey Feldman, stuff like that. Like they created this whole culture of, of loving movies and immersing yourself in movies and bringing movies to life. And that, you know, served as constant inspiration to me while I was writing Ready Player One. So, you know, as well as the Austin Film Festival, Austin Film Society, um, uh, and just what a great town it is for lovers of cinema and lovers of geek culture. So uh, it was just the best. All of that built up to, you know, me getting to show my Steven Spielberg movie for the first time at the Paramount to, you know, so many of my friends and family and fellow Austinites. It was, uh, uh, yeah, I just, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to top. Uh, even, you know, premiering it at the Dolby Theater at Hollywood and Highland in a few weeks where they have the Oscars is going to be cool, uh, but uh, it's going to be hard to top that night at one one tiny little last one because you mentioned Stephen's name again. I'm so sorry. We have to wrap. I'm so sorry. No worries. No worries. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Ernie. Bye.